James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And you may be seated. Perhaps you'll remember... From your own reading or study of the book of Acts that time when Stephen, the servant of the Lord who was full of faith and power, was dead, stoned to death at the hands of his own Jewish kinsmen. On that same day, scripture says, a great persecution arose and the, the people of Jerusalem began to scatter because the church there was targeted, leaving the people leaving their homes leaving their jobs, friends, and family. The church was being ravaged by one Saul of Tarsus who was entering house after house searching for men and women who followed Christ, dragging them away to prison. As far as is known, James, the the writer of this particular epistle, which is believed by most scholars to be the very first book written for the New Testament, This son of Joseph and Mary, yes, the the half-brother of Jesus, he was in Jerusalem. He stayed there. He was no longer skeptical of the claims of his brother Jesus, but after an encounter with the resurrected Lord, he was absolutely convinced that this man he had grown up with was indeed the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. James was a leader in the early church, kind of the first among equals, uh, the, the leader of the council in Jerusalem. And as he saw the trials and the sufferings of his brothers and sisters who were beginning to spread throughout other parts of the Roman Empire, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter, what we call the book of James. It, it's a, a very practical book of the Christian life. It's full of down-to-earth wisdom, sometimes called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And its primary purpose is to help God's people to mature spiritually or or to put it in in language I can understand and and helps me to to help me to grow up, to help us as believers to grow up, to become the kind of people God wants us to be. Now, I don't think any of us are, are facing persecution this morning, certainly not of the magnitude that the New Testament church faced, but we acknowledge our lives are full of struggles. Uh, I was privileged this past year to to teach a a course for our homeschool co-op that meets at our church, and we had a devotional time, and one of the teachers was doing the devotional and talking about the storms of life, and she asked the students gathered, do do any of you all have any storms of life? And one of the boys, about eight years old, raised his hand. Teacher said, yeah, uh, tell us about your storm of life. He said, my mom's K-12 
cabbage soup. <laughs> we all have storms. We all have difficulties. Some of these brought on by the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world. Some of these messes of our own making that somehow the Lord is able to use and to redeem in a way to help us see his goodness and see his glory and to grow up. Some of these are things that come at us for no other reason than we're believers. And right off the bat, this wonderful letter, James tells us how to face our trials, what to do when you meet a trial. So we're going to dig in a little bit for the next few minutes and see how we can meet our trials. And the first thing James encourages us when we meet a trial, to meet it with joy. Actually, he says to count it all joy. Now, let me say here, if you have fallen prey to a good time gospel, I want to apologize on behalf of whoever preached it to you. Faith in Jesus does not guarantee a good marriage or an easy marriage. It will not keep you free from cancer or diabetes. It does not guarantee a long life for you or your children. And it is certainly not the ticket to a Corvette or Mercedes or whatever your fantasy item is. The gospel is a promise of sins forgiven because of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. Now keep in mind that James is not writing to unbelievers primarily. He's writing to the church. He's writing to believers, to people who've put their faith in Jesus Christ, many of whom have given up everything to follow him. Notice that James does not question the presence of trials in the life of a believer. He never says if you experience trials, but when you experience them. Here's how you meet them. Here's how you meet the things that come at you. You count it joy. Now that's not a perverse, happy, clappy kind of feeling where we just delight in pain and suffering. No. If you're like me, you hate it. I don't like to hurt. I don't like to be sick. I don't like to feel bad. I, I don't like for my mind to be spinning with, with emotional things and and with feelings of what I'm going through and what others are going through, but it's actually kind of an accounting term to count it all joy. Maybe you remember the old song, I think it was by uh, Oatman, uh, count your blessings, count them one by one, count your many blessings, look what God has done. So we can take joy, we can count it all joy when we fall into trials of various kinds. We remember things. We remember that God himself is the good author of our trial. He's ordained it. He's organized it. He's allowed it. Pick whichever word you prefer. But he is sovereign over it. He's not been caught off guard. He's not been caught by surprise. He's not wringing his hands in the heavens wondering what am I going to do about this. No, he's already got it all straightened out, all worked out for his glory and for the good of you and me who are following him because of the work in Christ in us. When trials come, we can meet them with joy, understanding that God has hand-designed and custom-made a trial for us. And it tells us why he's doing this, and we'll get to this, but he wants us to grow up. What does that look like? It looks like his son. I remember years ago, pre-COVID, 
my wife and I were, were going to a gym, and I had the opportunity to meet with a trainer uh, two times. Remember our first, first appointment, I came out of the locker room, my sweatsuit on, my bottle of water in my hand, ready to go. Oh, it was great. We sat down in his office. He turned up the air conditioner. He gave me a, you know, a nice damp towel, and, and he walked me through my goals, um, health goals. You know, want to strengthen my cardiovascular system. Want to, you know, maintain flexibility. All the things that, as we get older, we start to think about. And he didn't go on the internet and print something out. He didn't cut and paste from a template. He hand wrote a workout designed for me, for where I was at, for the goals I wanted to reach. It was one of the best meetings I ever had. And I went back to the locker room, changed, went on about my business, and chalked it up. Man, great workout with the trainer. You see, we can rejoice. We can count it all joy because of what is being produced in us. 1 Peter chapter 1 puts it this way, in this... In what? In, in difficulties. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not met him, or sorry, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Meet your trial by considering it a joy, by counting it a joy. Not a pretend kind of happiness, but a positive outlook just like we say about love ultimately love is not a feeling I'm glad when the feelings are there but sometimes they're just not love is a choice that we make a commitment we made and in marriage based on a covenant that has been made with another person and so joy is not just about how we feel at any given moment but it's a decision we make based on a covenant that has been made with us through a son that laid down his life as a ransom for many. And that kind of joy is tied, James tells us now in verse 2, or verse 3 rather, to meet it with understanding. You have a trial, meet it with joy, count it all joy, and meet it with understanding. Here's the words used, for we know, we understand, we can see that the testing of our faith, you see, God has a plan, and his plan is never to trouble us just for the sake of causing us trouble. A, a trial is not an end in itself. God has a goal in mind. Now, he's not seeking to find out how much faith we have. He already knows. The testing of our faith is ultimately a mark that we have been born again. It is a means to greater maturity. This does not mean that we will understand God's specific purpose in the testing. And that's what makes these things a matter of faith. He doesn't explain to us what he's doing. He doesn't explain to us why he's doing it in detail. But he broadly tells us, I'm working in you. 
Romans 8.28, we love that verse in crisis. We know that all things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And in our minds, and maybe you've even heard it somewhere taught this way, God's going to sort everything out just like we want it to happen. Well, that's not, that's not what scripture says. The context is, as you read on to verse 29 and 30, that the good that God is working is conforming us to the image of his son. That's his goal, that we grow up and we look like our big brother, Jesus. Because we have been adopted by God the Father. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And yes, he's Lord. Yes, he's King of kings. Yes, he's the sovereign God. But he also brings us into his family. And he wants us to look like Jesus. That's part of his purpose in testing I think it's very important to note here, and this is another sermon, but James moves on to temptation. The devil tempts us to bring out the worst in us, to weaken us, to hurt our faith, but God tests us to bring out the best in us, to strengthen us, to build our faith. His desire is that our faith will be evident to ourselves, to the world around us so that we'll be constantly pointing to him. Charles Spurgeon said it is affliction that cuts the facets of the Lord's diamonds so that they shine with greater luster to his honor. You see, every trial has a purpose. To the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul writes, for this light momentary affliction... And you read through what Paul faced, some of those lists of shipwrecks and beatings and one time stoned and left for dead, maybe even dead and, and risen, some commentaries would say, light, momentary afflictions. Yes, a lifetime of affliction is a light, momentary affliction compared to eternity. Because Paul continued, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. J. Vernon McGee, the, the expository preacher, some of you have probably heard him on the radio at times, trials are meaningless, suffering is senseless, and testing is irrational unless there is some good purpose for them. God says there's a reason, and it's a good reason, even though he doesn't always give us the details. Now, just as I had that series of fitness goals, so God has a series of spiritual fitness goals for us. Part of God, the great master trainer's purpose in our trials is maturity. The product of struggle, particularly when we suffer well, is endurance, steadfastness, patience, marks of maturity in the life of a Christian. I told you I had two sessions with that trainer. First session, wonderful. Next week, I had my follow-up, came out of the locker room, a sweatsuit on, a bottle of water in my hand, went to the trainer's office, and before I could get in the door to get my cool towel and another cold bottle of water, he met me out, and he took me to the machines. We didn't just talk about my goals and my health history. We didn't just talk about how to use the piece of equipment. I got on the treadmill. I started lifting the weights, and frankly, it was not a whole lot of fun. 
I don't like the training schedule. Didn't like the training schedule he put together. I can't remember hardly a single time that I've looked forward to working out unless it was a workout to get to the hot tub. But I did it, and I do it because there is a purpose in it that I successfully reach those health and strength-related goals. Now, this is the type of patient perseverance that we meet our trials with. It's not the type of patience that it takes to, to stand in line at Walmart, although it may feel like it at times, but it's the kind of patience that it takes to complete a marathon. It's the kind of patience it takes to graduate from boot camp. It's the kind of patience it takes to finish a degree or to raise children. The Greek word is endurance. We endure. And as Jesus was teaching on the end of the age, he was addressing the issue of suffering, persecution, and trials. Hear his words in Mark chapter 13. And when they bring you to trial and they deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand as to what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will deliver brother over to death. The father is child, and children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated for all my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. You see, that's the goal. That's the hope. That's what we're looking for. The Apostle Paul, who after his conversion suffered immensely because of his commitment to Christ... He had an understanding mind, and to the church in Rome, he wrote, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So as you meet your trial this morning, understand what God is doing, understand what the trial is doing. It's doing a good work in you, for you, and ultimately through you. But that's not all that James has for us. In verse 4, he tells us, when you meet a trial, meet it with endurance. Let steadfastness, let endurance have its full effect. The the God's Word translation of verse 4 puts it this way, endure until your testing is over. You see, genuine endurance is a condition for victory over trials. It's a victory that comes from the Lord as He leads us and models for us and gives us the ability to endure. It's complete surrender to the sovereign purposes of God and a resolve to endure no matter what life will bring. One writer said, God cannot build our character without our cooperation. If we resist Him, then He chastens us into submission. But if we submit to Him, then He can accomplish His work. He is not satisfied with a halfway job. God wants a perfect work. He wants a finished product that is mature and complete. William Barclay translated this as unswerving constancy. More than just passive patience that allows a person to bear suffering, but a quality that causes one to be able to thrive even in the middle of suffering. Remember, God has a plan. The trial has a purpose. Faithful endurance, willing surrender to the plan of God brings three results. First of all, it makes the believer perfect. And that Greek word translated as perfect in in many of your translations, in, in the translation I'm using, 
It means fully instructed, fully mature, fully suitable for a given purpose. It's the picture of a student becoming a scholar. Of a woman, or a girl rather, becoming a full-grown woman. Of a worker becoming a craftsman. Of a recruit becoming a marine, or a soldier, or a sailor, or an airman, or an airwoman. It's the Christian fit for the task that God created him for and sent him into the world to accomplish. Endurance also makes the believer complete, whole, entire. It's the picture, of the Old Testament picture of the animal that is fit to be offered as a sacrifice to God without blemish, without any fault or defect. It's the picture of the priest preparing to go into the most holy place There's no disqualifying blemish. This kind of true endurance which submits to God's molding and His shaping removes the weaknesses and the imperfections from one's character. At least that's the design of the trial. And third, it tells us we lack in nothing. All that's needed to overcome, all that's needed to be what God wants us to be, is found in Christ, and all that's needed to run this race is found in Christ as we endure to the end. So to wait on the Lord, to wait for the completion of His work, is an act of endurance. It's an act of surrender. And if a Christian suffers well, if a Christian suffers well, meets each trial in the right way, If she develops this kind of endurance, then each day she will live more victoriously and become more like Christ himself. Dear brother, dear sister, let me encourage you. Endure until the trial is over because there's a prize on the horizon. Scripture tells us to meet a trial with an asking confidence. Let him ask God. Let her ask God. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. It's the ability to make the right decisions in difficult circumstances. Many times in our trial we struggle to solve the problem. We spin our wheels. We lean on our own experience, our own cleverness. And and we forget that we just take this to the Lord. He may have a solution that it hadn't even dawned on us to consider. I remember a time when we were facing something as a family and we tried this and we tried that and we schemed and we planned and and all of it with, with good intention, all of it with confidence in the Lord, but then it dawned on us, why don't we pray about this? And it was like something changed. Immediately what we needed to do, what we needed to know came to mind. It's just the good work of God. And we're told if we lack wisdom, if we don't know what to do, if we don't know how to process what we're going through, ask. And that asking may lead us to the doctor. That asking may take us to the right lawyer. That asking might bring us to to the right auto mechanic. And again, these are simple things. But it also might bring us back to that confidence, knowing that God has got this. And even though nothing's changed, I can rest. 
Even though nothing's changed today, tomorrow's another day, and tomorrow after that's another day. And I walk step by step with the one who says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. When you go through the fire and the flood, I've got you by my strong right hand. We can have confidence. And, and this is where James tells us in verses 6 through 8, ask in faith, faith in his greatness. When doctors don't know what to do, the great physician does. When the lawyers don't know what to do, the advocate does. When friends and family leave us hanging, the friend who sticks closer than a brother never leaves us or forsakes us. When we're not sure how we're going to make ends meet, the bread of life who gives us this day our daily bread does indeed supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. When our enemies are at work, our strong tower, our strength and our shield invites us to run into him and to be saved when we don't even know how to pray. When the words just won't come out of our mind or out of our mouth, the one who sits at the right hand of God is making intercession for us. God is all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. He's great and greatly to be praised. And we can put our trust fully in Him because there is none like Him. When you meet a trial, meet it with faith. You see, we don't just believe. I, I hope this is true for all of us. And I'll be honest, I'm like the guy that said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. But I hope we believe not just in his power and ability, that we don't just trust in his goodness and kind care, that we don't just believe he's able to do what he says, but I pray that we believe he is willing to do what he says and that he does keep his promise. Because here we have a promise of stability. We see immaturity and instability walk hand in hand. Have you ever felt like you were starting to sink? Is your boat feel like it's rocking from side to side? Are the waves breaking across the bow? I would lovingly encourage you, examine your heart. Root out the doubt and the unbelief. Now, God's not afraid of our doubts. He's not even afraid of our unbelief. He ministers to us. He works in us. But maybe we need to be like that guy the father of the demon-possessed boy in Mark 9. Maybe we need to use those words, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because with the promise of stability, we do have the promise of receiving. Now, all of these verses can be misused, and they are. But we understand we pray according to God's will. We understand that if we're praying for our own foolish desires, he's not obligated to answer a little known one that we don't think about. If we're in the midst of marital conflict and not willing to resolve it, he's not obligated to, to hear us. But when we're praying his will, living a life through Christ that pleases God because Christ has pleased God, he tells us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. God himself has invited us to ask him, to ask him for wisdom, to come to him, to approach the throne of mercy and grace where we'll find help in our times of need. God has invited us. And if it's his will, in a 
obedience to his word. It will never come with a misguided motive. And he promises to meet us where we are. So what do I do with this this morning? First of all, we remember James is writing to believers. If you're here this morning and you've not put your faith in Christ for salvation, I hope you found something I said helpful, but it's really not for you. But that can be changed in a moment. We simply come to faith in Christ by believing indeed he who he says he was and did what he said he did. What we've been singing about, what we visualized at the Lord's table. We turn from ourselves and turn from our sins and trust in him. But for those of us that are walking in confidence of the work of Christ in our lives. The psalmist wrote, weeping may tarry for a night. But joy does come in the morning. And you see, James, whose divinely inspired writings we've been reading this morning, one of his nicknames, the church tradition tells us, was Old Camel Knees because of the amount of time he spent on his knees in prayer. He was not writing in a vacuum. He wasn't in one of those ivory towers looking down on what everybody else was facing, no. Church tradition says that in 62 A.D. he was martyred taken to the top of the temple and thrown out into the street. The fall didn't kill him, so his tormentors finished the job by beating him death clubs. In verse 12, chapter 1, he writes, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. Blessed is the woman. Blessed is the believer who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So this morning, if you're in the midst of a trial, and if you're not, rejoice, but only for a little while because there's one coming. We, we, live, in a, we live in a broken world with broken people, some of whom want to break us. We certainly have an enemy that wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy if you're in the midst of a trial, ask God for understanding. If you're beginning to understand that he really does love you, and I, I pray, God, help us to understand that. That you love us more than we can imagine. If you're understanding that he really does love you and has a good plan for you, then ask him for endurance. He will give you the perseverance you need to make it through the trial. Ask him confidently, even boldly for wisdom, to make the right decisions. For the acumen to keep the right perspective, don't just believe that he's able. Believe that he's willing and then choose to walk in joy. Walk in joy before the burden lifts. Walk in joy before the answer comes. Walk in joy before the healing takes place. Walk in joy without seeing the provision. Walk in joy even before the feelings follow. Choose joy and rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. Blessed is the believer who remains steadfast under trial. When they've stood the test, they will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Lord, we endorse this word into your good care. Help us to keep it in our hearts. Help 
the birds of the air not to come and snatch it away quickly, but help it to take root, to encourage our faith, to comfort us in difficulties, to help us to look more like you. For our sake, for the sake of those around us, for the building of your kingdom and for the glory of your great name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.